welcome to Coffee and Catholics, a Catholic women's talk show podcast. I'm Stacy, one of your hosts, and with me I have... Hi, I'm Alicia. And I'm Noelle. I'm Annie. And I'm Lauren. Hello, and Noelle unfortunately isn't with us today. But today we're going to be talking about what does being pro-life mean to us. And, um, you know, being Catholic, Catholic teaching is womb to tomb and respecting life and the sanctity of life and dignity and respecting people for who they are and where they are and how God made them. What does that mean to us as Catholics who go out into the world to profess this teaching. It's easy to say womb to tomb, but what does that mean? Well, I think for, for me, God, there's the obvious issues that the church is very clear on, on what our stance on abortion and the death penalty, but it's far more than that, truly. For me, personally, when I think of what being pro-life means, it means accompanying life from the very beginning, whether it's the life that you're carrying or the life of someone else, that they're carrying and helping accompany and walk with people throughout their entire life from the time they conceive, whether that's just the baby or the mother. It's being with. To be pro-life is to be a supporter and advocate and an enthusiast for life and for people and, and being compassionate for the struggles that happen inside of life from womb to tomb. And that means you walk with people and you support people and you treat your children with dignity. I think that a huge part of what we don't talk about in, in pro-life ministry is treating people with dignity at all stages of their life, even when it's messy, even when it doesn't fit our agenda, even when it's not the way we wish things could be. It means you still accompany those people on their journey and all the facets of their journey. To me, that is what pro-life is. And those, you know, conception and then supporting life to natural death, these are bookends. There's so much more in between that to being pro-life. That's what it means for my life. When I think of, when I say I'm a pro-life woman, or I say I'm a pro-life Catholic, my mind doesn't just go to the big bookends. It goes to all that stuff in between. Because that's a witness to, to Christ. That's what we're doing. Is what we're created to do is to be image bearers. So to me, that's what pro-life means. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the majority of the time when I, for me, like when I think about being pro-life, you know, I think about the topic of, you know, abortion and whatnot because I've been, you know, on and off in that ministry for a while. But I agree with you that it's, it, go, it does go beyond that. And even within, like, the topic of abortion and, like, you know, pro-life ministry and all of that, you know, I, I've heard recently within the last, I don't know, maybe year or so, like, the term that people will give for pro-lifers within that realm is like, you know, they're pro-birthers that they just want women to give birth to babies and all that kind of stuff. And, and like, you know, related to what you were saying, Lauren, it's so much more than that. Like you, you know, are there to, I mean, being pro-life means that you are there for the woman, um, you know, from the time that, you know, she finds out that she's pregnant beyond birth. But yeah, so for me, um, because I do 
you know, work in the pro-life ministry. That's, that's a focus for me is, you know, making sure that it's made known that it's not just about helping that woman through her pregnancy and then she gives birth and she should use abandoned. It's beyond that. It's, you know, helping her and the baby because you care both about the woman and the child that are involved in whatever difficult circumstances that they're involved in. And so it's, yeah, just, you know, recognizing, recognizing the dignity of not only the child, that's not the only focus, but the woman as well, and through that, respecting them and showing them respect. And then also, like you were talking about, I think, you know, in terms of, like, euthanasia and whatnot like that, it's very clear-cut in the Catholic Church. That's not, you know, assisted suicide, things like that. Those things are not okay. Well, and I think that there's a social justice aspect to it also. And, you know, it's not just respecting moms and babies, but it's also respecting men and women of color and different cultures and respecting somebody's culture. And, you know, we're Catholic, but we are still called to respect those of other faiths and other beliefs and to value that God created them the way he created them and put them in the environment that he needed them to be in and that their journey is their journey with God and maybe we're a part of that but we're not supposed to be forceful or hateful or demeaning in any way because God still created them the way they are and we're supposed to love them where they are instead of forcing our idealistic views of how we think they should be. We need to love them where they are and go on that journey with them. That's a really great point, and I think it's one that's pretty important right now, given all the events of 2020. So uh, we as Catholics especially need to examine our pro-lificity, coin that phrase, um, in terms of how we treat people of marginalized populations or even minorities or just different cultures, like you're saying, we need to be looking very closely at how we are personally and individually applying that pro-life ethic across the board to these social issues because if there's anywhere that Catholics need to be, it is in the political and social and cultural um, world, advocating and, and preaching the gospel and living the gospel and supporting policies that allow the gospel to thrive instead of policies that will shut people down and will hold people back and oppress people. So I think not being afraid to talk about pro-life in the realm of social justice politics is something that needs to be done more. And I would love to hear more people talking about that. Even though it can get a little dicey when we think about how to apply these things, and that's okay. Again, God made us who we are. And, and just coming together to discuss it and dialogue about it is how we're going to be able to really walk this out as Catholics. So I think that sometimes on some of these issues, Catholics feel, you know, we could get into all the specific issues, but we don't have time for that. I think that Catholics feel unsure to talk about these things or address these things with people who may have differing viewpoints about how the pro-life ethic is applied here in these different things. But I think that's exactly what we need to be doing, is sitting down and talking to people and figuring out how can we authentically Catholic in the world that we were created in? This is what we were born into. This is what's going on. And I just think that's a, such a great point. I'm really glad you brought it up. I love, Lauren, what you said earlier about the saying, uh, treating people with dignity even when it's messy. Mm-hmm. 
for me, pro-life is, you know, it's really, it's respecting, you know, every moment of creation, you know, that we talk, you know, from moment of conception to natural death. Uh, I've walked with um, two family members, my dad and my grandma, um, as they um, have journeyed to the end of their life. And so that has been a very um, significant part. Our, um, that's just made a, a very big impact on my life. My dad had mental illness and then dementia, and he was not always a nice person to <laughs> too many people. Um, but he he still had you know that you know he still needed to be treated with dignity and cared for even when he was and not wanting to be cared for. Um, and my grandma, she would um, she was very depressed towards the end of her life after losing um, her husband many years before, and then her son um, just a few years before that. Just um, she would often ask, well, you know, why why was she still alive? And um, so being able to just kind of accompany accompanied them through through those times and just I don't I don't know why other than why why you're still alive grandma <laughs> other than to, to be a witness and to be here for you know my kids love you and I wanted to, if they've gotten to get to know you and just like those little reminders and being there you know in those dark times you know she made it through that time and uh, now with our family um, we're very involved my husband's work at the Gospel of Life Disciples and they um, work with they, people from all walks of life who are reaching the end of their, their journey here on earth and don't have anywhere necessarily anywhere else to go. Um, and just being able to have those, yes, having those encounters, it's like seeing God. You know, there, everybody is going to die. I mean, that's just a fact of life. Um, to journey with, um, with others through that, it just kind of reminds you about those those things and that and it helps remind us at that time that we will all get to, and that is a huge part of her. It's not just I mean it is it's about protecting the vulnerable, whether it's those in the womb or those who are you know having a hard time just with maybe with depression or um, or poverty or just really any any hardships in life. We all go through hardships, and it's loving each other showing God's love, and being a little bit of Jesus to each other. Well, I think it's great what the Gospel of Life disciples are doing, because it's the elderly, I assume, or do you mean the elderly? Yeah, okay. yeah, mostly elderly. Um, there are younger who are who have you know, a terminal diagnosis. Okay. Because oftentimes, specifically with the elderly, you know, like you hear about people in nursing homes and stuff, and they're just forgotten, they're left alone. Mm -hmm. So I think that's great what that ministry is doing, is being there for people who otherwise might be forgotten. And I think that's, you know, that's one of the loneliest things that people can go through, is just not having anybody who, you know, contacts them to say, hello, how are you doing, or anything like that. And that's what happens, I think, a lot in, in our society, is that because our society is so focused on, you know, being youthful and being alive and all of that stuff, like the elderly are really devalued. And so, so I think that's great that they, they assist people that way. Well, and even like, you know, Lauren said, in the light of the events of 2020, um, because this is actually our first episode of 2021. <laughs> now, even those that have family members in nursing homes during 2020 who did visit them weekly or daily or were there and they weren't allowed to. So that even made it harder. And so even those who had that support, it was taken away. 
workers in those facilities are amazing, you know, amazing because they had to, you know, take up that extra slack. I mean, they're already caring for those people, and then they're also having to take up being family for those people because their family wasn't allowed to come in and see them. And but that's, you know, like Lauren said, it's being with somebody. So it's really, you know, like you said, hard at the end of life if you're forgotten or you feel like you're forgotten or your support system's been taken away for you from you to feel that support being pro-life means to support and to work together to help each other carry on to wherever to wherever your journey is taking you whether that is out of your mother's womb into our world or through education or helping somebody learn life skills so they can support their families or that's helping somebody move into retirement or their empty nesters, their kids are moving out and going to college and moving or even away out of state and maybe you're in a nursing home or assisted living or your kids are gone. You know, you still we still need to have that community. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you know somebody whose community has for whatever reason had to leave them, they they need you. And that's what our job is, is to support each other and to be community and to be love. I think being pro-life, too, is looking for the outliers. I think that if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that we've all, in some way, been stripped of a support system. We're all really uncomfortable right now. In a lot of ways, some of us are uncomfortable in every single way in our life. Some of us not so much, but Jesus was always looking towards the edges of the crowd, looking at the unseen, looking at the ones who weren't just blending in, you know. And I think that's something that I have been challenged in my heart to do, partially through you guys' encouragement and just talking with, you know, people I never in the pro-life movement like Alicia and Noelle, and just it's being challenged to think about my the way that I express my pro-life beliefs in looking for the lost. And so I, my eyes this year have really been trained on the groups of people that make me the most uncomfortable in my life. And I force myself to look at that and I force myself to be around those people or to have some sort of contact with that community. And I force myself to be in a position to be loved to that person, even if their beliefs or their practices or their lifestyle makes me terribly uncomfortable because I think that the church belongs there too and I think when I let go of the idea that I had to have all the answers to be with certain people <laughs> you know if the question was their mouth or whatever that's when things became very beautiful because I'm not here to answer every question that you ever have on earth I'm here to love you I'm here to bring love to you this is he loves you this, you belong here with us and I think Making myself get a little uncomfortable with people like that has been very good for my view of what pro-life is because Jesus preferred discomfort. He didn't come out right out and say that, but you can see it in his life that he preferred discomfort to the trappings and the, and the safeties and the, you know, he was a king himself. He could have, well, he's a priest himself. He could have walked in and, you know, demanded the robes and, you know, but he didn't and he wouldn't have been happy there. And so I try to challenge myself not to be too happy there either with the finery of a comfortable faith or a pro-life ethic that feels cozy to me. You know, 
I'd rather it be a little edgy and a little rugged and a little bit uncomfortable. Because why not, right? This is the year for it. So yeah. <laughs> we're all uncomfortable anyway. So that's kind of what, I, it's just an interior challenge. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's great because I think you're answering a call that everybody's really called to because, you know, Jesus talks about, you know, loving your enemy. can't remember where this is. Again, I'm terrible at says so somewhere, somewhere in there in the New Testament, somewhere about um, somebody does something to you, like you know, if there's, you know, you have an enemy, being kind to that person or, you know, trying to help them and you know, being there for them, and it says something about, you know, because because through doing that you'll be, you know, heaping red hot coals on their head. And when I first read that, I was like, well, that doesn't seem like loving your enemy. <laughs> that seems mean. Like I don't understand this. And then, you know, I went down to the footnotes where it was talking about it, and uh, I don't know where this comes from. Maybe one of you ladies knows, um, or maybe this is a, a, you know, a question for an apologist. But it was talking about what that means, is that by by doing that, it's kind of like a, a way of helping, like, evangelize that person. And that, you know, the hope is that by doing those things that you would, you know, help them along their way and their conversion. Um, and so that made a lot more sense to me. I think that's beautiful that you're doing that because I struggle with that myself. We have uh, yeah. some falling out. My whole family had some falling out with some other family members, and it was long, very, um, very messy, and kind of painful for a lot of people. Kind of situation. You know, since then I've seen a couple of these people. I've talked to a couple of these people, and as I'm talking to them, I'm like, how do I do this? Like, what do I do? Because you know, on one hand, I want to be loyal to. Mm-hmm. These people over here who I know didn't do wrong, and these people I'm talking to who did horrible things, you know. But I want to be, I want to be that Christ to them. I want to like let God, you know, be shown through me. So it's it's kind of a struggle for me to know how to be in those uncomfortable situations and how to actually act out of love for that person. Um, I think that's I think that's great. It's really tricky when family is involved like, with those situations because, yeah, that's the hardest thing in my life is knowing how do I show love to this person without enabling this bad behavior, okay, or this undestructive thought process because that's not love either. So like, how do I, but that, I just, a lot of times I just wing it and I go with the moment. I'm like, Lord, just be okay. Just give me the words. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you don't know. Yeah. Well, and when you're talking about the outliers, it just made me also think about kind of transitioning to the, back to this topic of abortion, you know, marginalized groups. Because I think in our society and really around the world, there has been this growing tendency for people to, or people who have disabilities like Down syndrome or any kind of neurological issues or any kind of physical disabilities, you know, if it's found out in the womb, the number one option that doctors give is, you know, you should abort. Like, it's not like, you know, I mean, it's not even, I mean, I don't think it should be offered at all, but it's not even like, you know, is this an option you want to think about? This is like, this is what you should do. Yeah. Um, but I can't remember what country it is. I have an idea, but I don't want to say just in case I misquote. But there is a country that has almost eliminated Down syndrome mm-hmm. through abortion. Yes. Yeah. It's one of the northern European countries. Yeah. I think that that's something that's that's super important too. Like it's what you're talking, we've been talking about, and recognizing the dignity in every human being. That circumstances don't dictate your dignity. Mm-hmm. They don't. It's the fact that you were created, that God thought of you one day, mm-hmm. and went, "I love that person so much, I have to create them." 
Mm-hmm. Like how like it's just uh, this is just beautiful to me. Right. And that includes everybody with yeah. any kind of a disability yeah. or, or difficult situation. And uh, the fact that our society has, you know, gone that route, um, the world is really starting to go that route. I think is absolutely heartbreaking. Pro life being not just about, you know, the womb and the tomb and being in between. I mean, if you find out while they're in the womb that they are going to be this certain way or there's probability that they're going to have Down syndrome or whatever the case may be, they still have that dignity. Mm-hmm. And after they're born, they should be, you know, shown respect. We, I experienced that really early on. Um, when I was eight years old and my mom was pregnant with uh, my younger sister, uh, they found a uh, possible neural defect. And um, the specialist, that was the option, one of the big... Uh, one of the options, well, the, the option that he uh, gave my mom was, well, of course you're going to want to abort if you find out that this is that there's these issues. But that, you know, that really left a mark on our life. My, my mom, uh, my mom, their and dad were, you know, very, you know, pro-life. <laughs> and no, um, and they, you know, just prayed through everything and and just God let me be at peace with um, whatever child you give me. And my sister was was born with. Um, with no medical issues whatsoever, but just um, that witness that they gave me of showing that this is, you know, that this child you know, had dignity, you know, no matter what, like, is loved. This child is loved no matter what, um, was, you know, very, very impactful. I, you know, I saw the information that you talked about, Felicia, just a minute ago, about the country who, you know, as a hundred percent abortion rate for children with Down syndrome, and I just thought of oh, this most beautiful girl. A friend, of, friend of mine has this most beautiful daughter, and she has Down syndrome. And I just can't. They had lived somewhere else, and possibly that her life may not have been here. It's just devastating. She's beautiful, and you know, God created all of us. And like we said, we talked about the book ends. But, you know, the, the beginning, sometimes, like in those cases, may dictate part of the middle. Yeah. And, but just because the beginning has a shocking start doesn't mean that the middle is going to be a horrible suffering sentence. There's beautiful suffering. There's beautiful sacrifice. I, I look at the cross. Right. And that's what we're called to do is to sacrifice and to suffer with each other, as Lauren has said several times on episodes. And getting that diagnosis, it's not the end of the world, and it shouldn't be the end of that person just because God made them a certain way. And that continues on. You know, I know a lot of people worry, well, what about if the child, you know, outlives their parents? Well, we have beautiful ministries like mm-hmm. look at the Center for exactly. Family Love, and people don't know about these ministries, but they are there, and mm-hmm. and I, maybe we need to get the word out more. And I guess that's what we're doing right now. But there are these ministries that help those families find solutions or resources, mm-hmm. so that those children and those families can be successful and can survive and can thrive in this beautiful suffering and sacrifice that we're called to. I really think that, you know, everybody wants to put everything in a box. But pro-life is encompassing. Because we talk about the circle of life, and nobody has a problem about talking about that and how everything's connected and everything's so beautiful. And we talk about 
how you know, food chains and climate cycles and how everything is connected. But then when we bring up the term pro-life, everybody shuts down and wants to put every of the aspects that are pro-life into boxes, but you can't. Because mm -hmm. life is intertwined. How we are made is intertwined. And how we act to each other has to be intertwined. You can't say that you want to make sure all the babies are born, but then not help the moms once the babies are here. Mm -hmm. You can't say that you don't want people having assisted suicides and then not supporting mental health issues and services to get people the help that they need. It's all intertwined. Yes. And I think that sometimes that's why we get so stuck, especially, you know, you're talking about Catholics. It's hard for us because it starts to get political and it shouldn't be political because it this is what we're called to do. You're called to help these people and to help each other and to be Christ to one another. And that doesn't mean you have to volunteer for every single aspect of it, but no. that, that we're still supporting yeah. each other in those. We're not saying, okay, well, once the baby's born, well, sorry. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's because, you know, God gives us different charisms. Right. Not everybody is called to every single ministry. Right. You know, like you, you might be called to, you know, pro-life work in terms of abortion. You might be called to helping the elderly or the poor or the disabled or whatever else. And so while all of those things are good, God might just not be calling you to, to, you know, one thing or another, just this one specific area. Right. And just because you are called to one specific area doesn't mean you don't support the others. Right. You know, somebody is very involved in pro-life ministry in terms of uh, fighting against abortion, that doesn't mean that they're anti-woman. Yes. You know? That's um, a very big distinction that we need to make in the pro-life community, for sure. Yes. Or if you own, if you are you know, working in the pro-life ministry, but you're not working on the social justice side, it doesn't mean you don't care about what's happening on the social justice side. There are people that are called for that, that, are, that have the charism to go and make those conversations that are difficult happen. Yes. You know, I, think, I think all Catholic work is pro-life work, ideally. Yes. Right? Yes. That ethic should infuse in everything we do from mothering our children to being a wife or a husband. It's all about pro-life because pro-life is just a term that describes the gospel. It's a mutual suffering. It's a self-donation. That's what this work is. And it's like you said, Stacey, it's insidious because there's these hot button phrases that shut conversation down yes. when but it gets into all of our thoughts, you know, like, um, it's the way we view other human beings. And this is where things like the theology of the body are so intertwined. Because it's we don't want to suffer is where it comes down to. We don't want suffering. We don't want babies to suffer. We don't want lives to suffer. We don't want elderly to suffer. And because we don't want to suffer, that bleeds into every decision that we make as a society. And that is a fundamentally flawed concept that we have to address in our own hearts. Because I know for me, my tendency, and I'll give you a real life example. When somebody hurts me, what's the thing that we really want to do? What's our reaction? To snuff it out, to shut them down, to silence them. But we're condemning people for doing that in society. We're doing that with our family members. We're doing that with, it's all, so it comes down to these minute decisions that we make every single day about how we treat other people when they hurt us, you know? So it's almost like 
the only way to really be pro-life is to just really go inward in our own hearts and start pulling at some of those roots, you know, and then maybe some of those roots will make some room for the Holy Spirit to move apart so that we can see things from his perspective. And so, I mean, I know that's kind of complicated, but I just see it in my own heart. I'm like, wow, you know, I can talk all day about these marginalized groups that they need to be listened to and we need to respect them, but I can't even sit here and have a respect conversation with you. You know, that's not pro-life. Yes. <laughs> you know, we have to be pro-life in every way. It has to seep and soak into us. That's a process. Yeah, a long, lifelong process. <laughs> <laughs> On one of the things that you said, you're talking about how we don't want suffering. We don't want others to suffer, and that's you know that's nice. And we don't want uh, you know we don't want to suffer. And but when we try to eliminate all suffering, and we don't rely on God, we are relying on ourselves to try to eliminate suffering. We are trying to create, in a way, a heaven on earth. Mm-hmm. And heaven's not supposed to be here. We're supposed to you know. We're on our way to heaven. We're not supposed to be creating heaven. But yeah, because it's not possible to have it on Earth. Like you right. cannot have a utopia here Correct. on Earth because this is a fallen world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Suffering exists. Mm-hmm. You cannot have it anywhere else, like you said, except for heaven. And it's redemptive. But we get into even in our politics, we try to create a utopia. Yes. Uh-huh. And that's a dangerous game to play philosophically because that isn't what our not what we're here for. We're here to be image bearers. Obviously, we want to create fair and just laws, but we can't eliminate the means by which we begin to see truth, and that is through suffering and self-donation. Well, and that's one thing you guys, you know, you, you two were talking about. I think everybody's talking a little bit about suffering. Is that I don't think that the world really knows the meaning of suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like you're talking about. I mean, and that's that holds true for myself. You know, mm-hmm. I'm Catholic and I try <laughs> and everything and I love the Lord and I love the Eucharist but I even have trouble with this that I don't want to suffer mm-hmm. I don't want to have that and so it's not my first reaction to say you know thank you for this suffering that I'm going through because it can be redemptive if I allow it to be, you know change me through this I offer this up for those that I'm praying for you know doing something like that it's, it seems very counterintuitive I think to the world to say that suffering is a, can be a good they can be transformed into a good. You know, like and you were talking about, you know, like life is on a continuum. And so, you know, being pro-life should be on that continuum. You can't say that our, you know, anti-euthanasia or anti-assisted suicide and not help these people over here with these types of things or like it be in support of that or support of people around you who are having those issues. And that brings me to, you know, for me, pro-life, and this might be a controversial statement. I think it is <laughs> a controversial statement. But for me, like pro-life means without exception. So from the time that you conceive to the time that somebody, you know, passes from this world at the end of their life, it means absolutely no no exceptions. And I think, you know, like, and again, I go back to abortion because that's kind of my bread and butter, I guess. But, you know, I, I hear people talk about, you know, like they'll say, yes, I'm pro-life. But in the case of, you know, the, the mother, you yeah. know, having, um, you know, issues with her health or something like that, or, you know, a child becoming impregnated because of rape, all those situations are, so, are, are awful. But for me, those aren't justifications for not respecting life, because I think there's a way to respect 
the mother in those situations as well as the child. And it's not as quote-unquote easy as just getting rid of the situation, getting rid of the problem. But I think that it is possible. And so to find a way to respect both lives that are involved in the situation, it might not be easy, and it's going to probably, you know, incur some suffering. You know, Jesus said, like, I mean, even like you were talking about, you know, Jesus' way of showing us love was through suffering. So, yeah, so that's, well, that's it for me. One of the things that you said also made me think, you know, sometimes when we are so gung-ho of eliminating somebody else's suffering, we're in danger of compacting the trauma that they experience. And you mentioned trial or anybody in a rape situation. That's traumatic. I Instead of just gung-ho, okay, well, that baby has to be aborted because that was a traumatic experience. Abortion holds its own trauma. So in our attempt to relieve suffering, are we actually adding more in the long run than we're alleviating? Uh, and that's, like you said, that's another philosophical, like, you know. I wonder how many of us would have taken Jesus off the cross. Yeah. Yeah. I've read that before. I've read there was a whole thing that's floating around. I looked up that just made me really think. How many of us would have tried to intervene on Mary's situation, you know? Her situation in society, and look what the world would have been deprived of. And I realize that's a crap. That's it's a it's a mediocre question. I understand there's philosophical problems with it, but it bears truth, you know. Um, I also had a friend once talk about. They were very in support at one point in their life of euthanasia. They thought that it was a horrible disservice to allow somebody who is suffering to continue to suffer. They told me about a conversation they had with um, somebody smarter than them. (laughs) Um, Who told them. But when we do that, we also eliminate the possibility of God to do his work. You know, like Annie's story, for example, if her parents had taken the doctor's advice, her, her sister was born without any defects, but the doctor was willing to, and just in case there might be suffering, we might as well just terminate. When you have those diagnoses presented and you make a definite, quick decision, sometimes we also remove God from the decision. Uh, Compact trauma, remove God, and create ultimately more suffering at some point. Yeah. What really relieves mm-hmm. suffering is being with someone as yes. they're suffering. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing. If somebody's been through this traumatic experience, they don't want your patty answers. They want you to sit there with them and just feel it and, and have someone go through it with them. And that's what heals trauma, not quick fixes to make the pain go away, which doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. Trauma doesn't get healed by inflicting more trauma. I love that point that you made. And I'm glad you said that, Lauren, because I want to make it clear that I would take a gamble that none of us are saying that we're okay with people suffering. Like, <laughs> well, we're not no. trying to, yeah, we're not trying to say, you know, like, you know, well, suffering can be, you know, you can transform it into the good, good things can come out of it. So, therefore, you know, people should suffer. Like, that's not it at all. It's just the fact <laughs> of the matter. Yeah, it's just the fact of the matter that suffering does exist in this world and it always will. And so, like you were saying, being there for people and walking with them through it, mm-hmm. um, being by their side and letting them know that they're not alone in their suffering, like actually taking on that suffering yourself, 
for me, that that's the solution. That's how you respect life. Yeah, I think that you hit the nail on the head there. And it's not being afraid to suffer with. It's much easier to say, well, here's what you should do to fix that, hmm. than it is to say, I'm going to let this hit my life, and I'm going to let it impact me. I'm going to let it hurt me the way it's hurting you, and I'm going to walk with it through you. And it's going to suck, and I don't have answers, but I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> Which one is easier? I don't know how many times I've used that phrase. I don't know what to say to you right now, but I'm here for whatever you need. Just tell me what yeah. I'm here. I think there's some like beautiful saints that we can look to to really kind of give us, you know, examples of this like Saint Damien, Molotai, mm-hmm. did I pronounce that correctly? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you know, Saint Mother Teresa, Blessed Stanley Ruther, yeah. you know, people who um Saint Rex, like <laughs> she suffered in little ways of like getting along, you know, being nice to the sister that mm-hmm. the nun she didn't like. You know, those little things. And I mean, and, you know, suffering through her pain of her, you know, being sick as well and everything. But the saints of the church, like, pretty, I mean, probably all of them <laughs> had had some form of suffering that they had to work through. And the church gives us these, these friends to guide us. Mm-hmm. The Advent book that I tagged in our Advent episode, one of the readings talks about Abraham saying, here I am. And how here I am actually translates into three other words. I love you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it means to be pro-life. To say to somebody, here I am. Join us again in two weeks when we have a guest speaker for discussion with Dolores from Rose Home and Willow Pregnancy Support. Until then, may God bless you and may Mary accompany you.